Hi, this is Stephen Ambrose, Senior Pastor at Wapak Naz. I want to welcome you to the Wapak Naz podcast. We hope and pray that this message goes deep into your DNA, is encouraging, relevant to your life, a means for you to engage with God and experience His love, and moves you to impact your world. We at Wapak Naz believe firmly that you matter to God. We are glad that you are taking the risk to engage with Him today. Wapak Naz is love people loving people to Jesus, and it takes people to partner with us to be on mission and bring this message to our community, the region, and the world. If you would like to financially partner with Wapak Naz to love people to Jesus, join us by going to our website at wapaknaz.org and becoming a financial partner. We thank you, we pray for you, we love you, and enjoy the message. By saying that uh, as, you know, as pastor, I'm, I'm quite proud of you. Um, when, when we, we send out word that, hey, a family has passed and, um, we're having the funeral here, there were many, many, many of you who reached out and said, I can help, and some of you who said, you know what, I wish I could be there, but I cannot, but the thought was there. I came in on, I don't know what day it was, I think it was... Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday one of the two days and less than 10 minutes of me being in the office somebody showed up and they and their kids started vacuuming the floor and then I went back up to my office and I came back down there were more people who were vacuuming and cleaning and then I went back up and I came back down and there were people packaging um, for for Matthew and it was just this activity that was happening here because you cared for people and some which you don't even know and then I show up after the funeral in the fellowship hall and there's all this food that had been brought in on Wednesday night and Thursday morning and and you as a body cared for a family who was grieving and then last night many of you gathered for a senior meal I just want to say thank you thank you for being the people that you are Thank you for your willingness to love and care and serve. Thank you for your willingness to clean toilets. <laughs> um, just thank you. I, I'm, I'm very proud to be your pastor. I'm very, very grateful uh, for all of you. And uh, with that said, I'm tearing up a little bit. I'm going to try to transition. Uh, let's transition. <laughs> Awkward. Um, would you please open open up to John chapter 8 and uh, you're going to open up to John chapter 8 and then you're going to put your finger there and we're going to go to to Luke chapter 23 this is going to frame our conversation today John chapter 8 Luke 23 and uh, by the way our our, uh, teenagers probably will be rolling in here shortly uh, from camp so that's really really cool I completely forgot about there, there, there are several people um, that our leaders and our teenagers out at camp today just about 15 minutes away and they're, they're returning so man again another reason to be proud of, of you and, and grateful John chapter 8 we're going to read start at, at verse 1 and I'm going to read through verse 11 but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives at dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him And he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. They were using this woman as a pawn. Jesus bent down, distracting everyone, taking their eyesight off the woman, and started to write on the ground with his finger. I wish we knew what he wrote. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground, again, keeping the eyesight off the woman in her shame and her guilt. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, 
the older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. And I put in, and I insert here, looking into her eyes, then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, Go now and leave your life of sin. If you'd hold your finger there and you turn to Luke chapter 23. Verse 32. Two other men, both criminals, were led out with Christ to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him, along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, the Chosen One. The soldiers came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was written a notice above him which, which read, This is the king of the Jews. Now one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save, save yourself and us. The other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God? Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Heavenly Father, as we embark upon this conversation, may you lead this conversation. You know our hearts. You know our minds. You know the experiences that we've had within the church or out of the church with believers and non-believers. Lord, you know the pain, the hurt, and, and all those things in which we carry, and the baggage in which we carry through these doors. We ask today that you speak right into those moments, right into that hurt. I know not everything will be resolved. I know that there aren't always amicable resolutions. But I pray that this is a catalyst to healthy conversation. This is a catalyst to grace, a catalyst to forgiveness, a catalyst to mercy, a catalyst to unity of the people of God and mindfulness of how we interact with all, all people regardless of belief and where they come from. Thank you, Jesus, for being who you are because quite frankly, you bridge the gap. You are grace. You are justice. You are mercy. You are forgiveness. God, help me handle these things with the utmost care and compassion. I love you, and I trust you. And it is in your name that we pray today. Amen. It was 1980-something. Uh, there you go. I like that. I heard a, heard a laugh there. It was, it was really 1980-something. And uh, the rumors were circul circulating already around the youth group. And they flew right into the face of my parents at the front door of the church. A lady came uh, and said, I'm really sorry to hear about your daughter. And pa my parents confused. Um... They said, what did you hear? Well, she's pregnant, of course. And confused, they said, well, that's news to us. And so rumors, gossip, untruths with unknown origins had been circulating around 
not only the youth group, but obviously the church, followed by judgment and sneering and comments and condemnation. Only few, only few people who were close friends of my sister actually came to her aid, her support, and her comfort, knowing who my sister actually truly was. Um, Neither the new-ish pastor or the youth pastor squelched the conversation or helped the conversation, and in fact, they avoided the conversation. My sister, in retrospect, in speaking with her on the phone, concluded the only reason that rumors were starting around the youth group and moving into the church was because of the guy friend that she brought to youth group, who was a good friend of hers, was very, very disliked among the youth group. And so, what better way to remove this guy from the youth group than start a rumor that he was the apparent and alleged uh, father of my sister's non-existent baby. <laughs> um, needless to say, it really matters not the intent or, or the purpose behind the rumors that were, were squelched, but they were unfounded, they were untrue, and they were not real. However, however, the defamation of character was very real. The hurt, the pain, the fallout, very, very real. As someone said to me, probably about two or three months ago, church hurt is real. It is a real thing. It was early 2000 and something. I was a teacher slash chaplain slash soccer coach slash mission coordinator at a a school, a Christian school. But I was also a part-time youth director as a part of the church. I received a call from the youth pastor who was a dear friend of mine, and we still are dear friends. He actually, in fact, officiated... Uh, our wedding with my wife he called me and said question for you Uh, you have a moment that we can sit down and have a conversation so he came over to my classroom we sat down and he said I have some news that I need to break to you you are being written out of the budget as junior high youth director as of April. How is that going to impact your income and your finances? I said, well, just as a teacher, I qualify for food stamps. So I'm going to need to find another job. It was written out of the budget without any conversation from the pastor And it came to much surprise to the hired treasurer, to the youth pastor, and quite frankly, um, chaos ensued over the next several months of my life as well as the life of the church. Meetings were handled without the youth pastor, without me, behind closed doors with parents. Church hurt is real. It happens. It happens whether you're a part of the church or not a part of the church or you're a paid staff or non-paid staff. If you're a human being, (laughs) right? Church hurt is real. Some of you sitting in this room have experienced church hurt yourself. Some of you listening online have experienced that, that hurt whether it was because of foolish rumors, whether it was because of gossip or words carelessly or flippantly or even harshly said to you, whether it was intentional or unintentional, whether the leadership handled situations in which you disagreed with, whether it was an ethical or moral failure from your pastoral staff or the leadership staff or someone in the volunteer staff whether it was a misappropriation of funds 
whether you felt that you were used by the church and underappreciated, fragile situations avoided, mishandled, or not handled the way you wanted them to be handled, whether there was a breach of trust or confidentiality, favoritism, nepotism, bureaucratic power grabs. I don't know what hurt you may have experienced. But it's real. I can tell you even pastors, paid and non-paid pastors, and their spouses and their families are not immune nor to this hurt. In fact, in Craig Rochelle's leadership podcast last month, he quoted a statistic from the Barna Group that 42%, 42%, that's higher than the 40 and 41% of those that are in secular positions. 42% of senior pastors and pastoral staff are currently considering leaving their current position. Now, this is not like the 40 or 41% of the workforce that are wanting to transition from their job to another job. No, these pastors are wanting to leave full-time ministry and never step foot in it again. Church hurt is real. There's no way around it. All of us experience it at one time or another. And just as real and just as serious are the implications and the ramifications, the fallout that happens as a result of church hurt. The first and obvious result is that an individual or a family or a group of individuals that are connected to that person or that family get disconnected, become very disconnected to the body of Christ. That body that is supposed to be this life-giving group of people, this community. In fact, in 1980-something, I was a kid, and I was into He-Man, Star Wars, Transformers, and Hot Wheels. That was my world. And all I noticed as a result of whatever was going on, was that my family became priesters or CEOs. That's church talk for Christmas and Easter attenders only. Right? My sister, who was thoroughly involved into the youth group and Sunday morning service, stopped being involved. My mom, who was in the choir, singing, This is the day that the Lord... My dad, who wrote dialogue for cantatas and actually narrated the cantatas, they stopped going. We stopped connecting to the community. Now, in, in early 2000-something, I was a firm believer in Jesus Christ. And I truly knew what was happening and what was going on. So my response to that was different. I asked the Lord for wisdom. I asked the Lord to hold my tongue, be quick to listen, slow to speak, right? Slow to anger. And I asked that he be glorified. And I kind of also asked him, can you provide me a job? Because <laughs> I'm going to need a job. <laughs> I'm going to need income in August, right? Almost simultaneously, when church hurt occurs, is very strong, decisive, and negative opinions about the church. At first begins, and I've heard it many times, that church is full of hypocrites. 
But then the target widens. All churches are full of hypocrites. Then it even widens further. All Christians are hypocrites. People begin to form opinions based on that experience or that hurt that happened right then and there. If, if, if they are a strong believer in Jesus Christ and in God, one of the other implications with the strong opinion is that they can believe in Jesus and they can follow God without the church. Side note, and this is for free. God believes in you. Though you and I are flawed and imperfect and works in progress, WIP, God believes in you. And if God believes in you who are flawed and imperfect and a work in progress, He believes in the church too. Belief in Jesus does have belief in the church. Those are not inseparable. However, that's another one of those implications and ramifications of church hurt. But beyond that, because this isn't just about attending church. When there is a misrepresentation of Jesus Christ, when there's a misrepresentation of God Himself, and people are hurt by that, because the church, as my sister said, that was supposed to be a place where I was received and accepted and loved and respected well enough that people would actually have a conversation with me and not assume things. But what results is people begin to sever themselves from God himself due to a misrepresentation of Christ. Now back in 1980-something, my brother was, he was kind of that tween. I think he was about 12, maybe 13. He was already formulating and developing his atheistic mindset and when this happened regardless how much he and my sister were at odds with each other he still protected my sister but when this happened that galvanized his belief system that there is no God and now we have a wedge a massive wedge. Christ himself is not a misrepresentation of Christ. And so today, this morning, uh, I am not here to excuse away or condone any negative behavior or actions, unfriendly, self-righteous judgment, prideful judgment, haphazard words. I'm not going to dismiss the feeling that you have. Because I've been there as well. As a kid and as an adult. And I understand that I am not that person. I am not that pastor. I am not that church that may have hurt you. I get that. At least I hope I'm not. We'll get to that. At least I hope I'm not. But, not only as a pastor, but as a follower of Jesus, as a follower of Jesus Christ, and a representative of Him, I apologize to you. I'm sorry that happened. 
I really am. You see, Peter quoted a proverb and a prophet when he said that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. If you're in this room and listening to this conversation and you are a believer in Jesus and you happen to have a conversation with somebody who brings up their church hurt, listen to it. Listen to it. Don't excuse. Don't condone. Just listen. And then humbly apologize on behalf. I think it's really important that we do our best from today forward to be that representative of Christ. So, there's some cautions that come out of this conversation. And I'm going to tell you that this is not the whole conversation there's no way you can have this whole conversation. It's, just, it's not possible in 30 to 45 minutes. It, it just can't. I may not address the things that are eating at you, but I hope I can hit some areas. So, for all of us who have faith, or those of us that are forming faith, or those that may come to faith in Jesus Christ at some point in your life, and we are praying that you do, Here's a caution for you. Fair warning, because Jesus gives us this fair warning in the Sermon on the Mount. He closes the Sermon on the Mount about building your faith. The materials in which you build your faith. I want to caution you not to build your faith on a personality or a person. Now, I know that's contradictory to iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. No, there's room for that. We are to influence one another. We are to sharpen one another. We are to encourage one another. We're to support one another. We're, yes, to admonish and rebuke one another. We're to love one another. We're to bear with one another in humility and love and be gentle with one another. However, your faith, my faith, is not built on a person. Paul said this, follow me as I follow Christ. Now, I insert those words because I think he also meant, if I'm not following Christ, don't follow me. Your faith and my faith is built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. The one who is the chief cornerstone. He himself who is the head of the church. Both local and global and historical. And that will be the church in the end. He is the head. He's the one that holds us together. Not a person or a personality. Sorry, Matthew. We don't build our faith on you either. Or myself. That's a gut check for us, isn't it? We have to make sure that Jesus is the rock in which we set our feet upon. Because people and personalities at some point or another they might fail us they might hurt us intentionally or unintentionally so you and myself we have to ask ourselves what is our faith in it is by grace that you have been saved through faith in Christ and in his work so that's caution for all of us in the room the next moment or the next point is that all are sinners 
in need of grace. There is not one of us listening and one of us in this, this room or upstairs that this does not apply to. Paul said, all have fallen short of the glory of God. Meaning, you and I, we missed the mark because of original sin and personal sin. Sin seeps in to even the most holy human beings except for Jesus Christ. And so, Christians, you and I, we're sinners saved by grace. That is our mark. That is the indelible mark that we carry. There is not a day that you and I can go without the grace of God. Not a day. Almost, almost weekly, there's an older gentleman in one of our life groups who just wants God's grace, wants more of it. Folks, there's not one of us not in need of the grace of God. That is the beginning point. That is the most powerful beginning point in your life is the grace of God. Along with that, and it sounds just the same, but it's a little bit different. All of us, all of us are flawed and imperfect. No one identifies with perfection. I know I don't. But all of us are flawed and imperfect. That is our nature as human beings. That is your nature as a human being. You are flawed. You are imperfect. I am flawed and I am perfect and am imperfect. Is there any wonder why we ever expect people, whether they believe in Jesus and carry the, the, the name Christian or not, is there any reason why we expect people to be perfect? That leaves us crushed when they do hurt us. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, what we call the Sermon on the Mount, He said, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That word there, that word is, is actually, doesn't mean perfect, it means complete. It means whole. If we peer back all the way into the Greek, that's what it means. Teleos. Mature. Be whole and complete. Folks, flawed people and imperfect people can only become complete, can become whole by someone who is actually whole and who is complete. And the only one in the entire universe, in the entire span of human history and time, is God. Jesus Christ and His Holy Spirit. Being human is not an excuse. Have you used that before? Because I have. I'm only human. He or she is only human. Being human is not an excuse. Since all of humanity has fallen short of God's glory and His standard, and all of humanity have sinned, and all of humanity is flawed and imperfect, being human cannot be an excuse. Because Christ is the example of a new way to be human. Now, if you're not a believer and you think Jesus was a great moral teacher and a great example, start there. Start there as Christ is the example. Follow His ways even if you may not believe Him. But as Christians, as ones who believe that Jesus Christ is fully God and fully human and the Son of God, we cannot allow our humanity to be the excuse of being not Christ-like. 
We raise the bar because God raises the bar. And we strive to be Christ-like. And then when we don't, and when we fail in that, we go back to God gives grace to the humble. Apologize. Have that conversation. And there it is. The healthy conflict conversation. By show of hands. No, I'm not going to do that to you. (laughs) Bruce already says it. Nope, I don't like conflict. I avoid it. I'm pretty sure there is not a human being in the room that loves conflict. I'll probably put my name in the hat right away. I don't like conflict. Because conflict, conflict has a bad name, doesn't it? Conflict resolution has a bad name because conflict resolution presumes that every conflict and all parties involved can have a satisfying agreement. That's not true. That's not true. However, I think it's really important for all of us to look at the example of Jesus in having healthy conflict conversations. There's one at the very back end of John chapter 21. Peter. Good old Peter who denied Jesus Christ three times. Said, I don't know him. He was called out by a junior high school kid. Right? I don't know him. But after his crucifixion, his death, and his resurrection, Jesus actually initiated a conversation with Peter. He didn't avoid it. He didn't dance around it. He didn't try to create a false peace. Because Jesus is actually true peace, right? True peace breaks through... And initiates a conversation. See, healthy conflict conversations start out with empathy. Empathy. Empathy is the greatest level of compassion. It is on the deepest level of knowing somebody's inner world. It's this exchange of inner worlds and worldviews. And Jesus, if we watch everything he does in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it all starts with empathy. And so Jesus initiates this conversation with Peter, doesn't avoid it, and then the healthy conflict conversation seeks to restore. Seeks to lift up and reconcile. And so Jesus says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Third time, Peter was hurt. See, Jesus spoke truth in love. Sometimes truth in love hurts, doesn't it? I think that's one of the reasons why we avoid these conversations because we don't want to hurt the other person. The other person doesn't want to hurt us. And we just, but the fact is, we all walk away hurt. His starting point is empathy and his starting point is grace. He graces Peter. Jesus knew that Peter loved him. Peter needed to know that he loved him despite what he did. This whole conversation was to be framed around John 8 and Luke 23. Jesus before those that he was teaching. Religious people pulling in a woman 
caught in the middle of adultery. Potentially naked or partially naked. With the absence of the man that she was in the act with. Used as a pawn. To call out Jesus. And as I was reading the story, I tried to make sure that we understood the eyes of the people in the story. Because what Jesus was doing was keeping the eyes off the woman standing in the middle of the, the, the church service. And all attention was on him. We often think that Jesus graced the woman, but we also forget that he prevented a group of men from committing an act of murder and shedding blood. Jesus was gracious both to the woman and the religious people. Jesus literally stood in between the two. And then when we see the story of Christ on the cross, that is a true picture of healthy conflict because love reaches out to both sides. Grace reaches out to both sides. Forgiveness reaches out to both sides. He is our model. He is our example. He's a starting point. So today, I don't know what hurt you have. But Jesus wants to grace that hurt. wants to pour himself all over that hurt. Because whatever that human being has done that was a misrepresentation of Christ, it wasn't Christ. It wasn't God. That's not him. That's not him. So please, if you're equating that hurt with who God is, I challenge you not to. To see God and Christ for who they really are. And see the church for who we really are. See each human being for who they really are. I want you to know that God does love you. you're listening and you haven't been a part of the church in a very very long time God loves you he really does Heavenly Father I thank you for who you are you're good you're compassionate you're slow to anger you're in relentless pursuit of all of humanity your spirit is forgiving and healing your blood renewing Lord, I, I, I just think of the prodigal son. I can't get that thought out of my mind where the father is just standing on the porch looking out to the horizon waiting for that son to return. And when he sees him, he runs to his son. He doesn't wait for the son. He runs and puts his arm around him. 
Thank you, Jesus, for being that father whose arms were nailed on the cross, fixing you there. You chose it. You took it for our sin, for my sin. And today, I confess on behalf of the church, Lord, we haven't got it right. There are moments that we've screwed up. There are moments that we, there are people that we have hurt. Whether it's this local church or, or, or the church universal, we've hurt people. And there were times that we, we did not have that conversation. Yes, there were times we didn't know that we hurt someone, but we just didn't have that conversation and we didn't handle it right. So Lord, forgive us. Cleanse us. And help us move forward a little bit more healthy and a little bit more whole and a little bit more aware to those inside the church and those that are not a part of the church. And Lord, if we have been hurt and we haven't told a soul, then I ask in your name that we have that conversation. I firmly believe that your spirit heals and graces and makes whole. And Father, I pray for this community right here. May we be different than the past. May we sit down and have those conversations and put our arms around people and love them and grace them. Jesus, thank you for being that which we need. It is in your name that we ask these things this day. Amen. Absolutely. I have done. I want you to know I apologize. I'm sorry. Seems like everywhere we go, we come back home, it's still there. We go somewhere else and come back home, it's still there. These are things that you can't get rid of. Mm. They're there. I've asked the Lord to help me. I've asked the Lord to forgive me. I want you to know as a church, you know, you, you, you know all about everybody. You know what people have done. You know what they said. We don't have to go into that. But as a church, I apologize. And I apologize for the hindering that that, that is done to you. I don't know what you're thinking, but you haven't. I appreciate that. I just thought this was a good time. Yep. When I say, Lord, I, I need more of Lord. I need more of God. I need more. I really do. I really do. Lord, help us all.
Well, I, uh, you initiated that conversation, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, on behalf of the congregation, I don't, I don't know what, what, what you're thinking or what you're feeling or what's been done or what hasn't been done, but on behalf of the people, you're forgiven. I love you. I don't, you know, you're, you're a prime example of who Jesus is. So, uh, Father, I, I don't, you know what you've laid on his heart. He doesn't need to go into that. You know what you've laid on his heart. And I ask that you cover with your grace and your blood. And I thank you that he is, Eugene is that example. He's been that example to me numerous times of you. And Lord, as Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. I watch Eugene's life and that is a life in which I would follow. Because you are all over him and all over his heart. And he's tender to your spirit. And I I ask that you make me tender to your spirit. That you make us tender and aware of your Holy Spirit. That if we have wronged, Lord, make it very clear. If we have wronged one another, make it very clear. And empower us by your Spirit to confess that and to apologize and to make it right by your grace. Lord, we love you and I thank you and it's in your name we pray today. Amen. Would you please stand? You're a good man. May you love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, with all your strength and all your mind. And will you love your neighbor? Ask yourself. Have a wonderful, wonderful Sunday. Mm-hmm. Thank you for listening to the Nas podcast. We hope you are moved deeply to step into God and the hope and future he has for you and that you are moved to be salt, light, and yeast in your community and to love people to Jesus.